We're going to be turning our Bibles to Psalm 118, and we're going to be continuing our worship uh, through the scriptures this morning. And I titled this morning's message, Live to Tell. Live to Tell. Now, uh, I had you guys turn to Psalm 118, but uh, are you, are any of you in the room kind of like Callie and I, like you love to watch some of these like murder mysteries, like the real ones, like, you know, like the 48 Hours Mystery, you know, uh, Dateline NBC, hashtag don't watch alone. You know what I'm saying? Like Callie and I, like I feel like when we first got married, like we went through the season where like we binge watched all of these shows, right? And it's so interesting because if you've ever watched like 48 Hours Mystery on CBS, I feel like I'm giving like a shameless plug to CBS right now. Anyway, um, if you watch this show, there's these really compelling episodes episodes that they call them live to tell, live to tell episodes. And the content of a 48 hours mystery, you know, 48 hours is like the best chance or opportunity investigators have of, of finding someone after someone disappears or goes missing, right? So the whole premise of this show is just built around uh, murder mysteries that have actually happened, real life uh, events. So it's actually really, really heavy. But they have these episodes called Live to Tell where there's no formal narrator. Because if you're used to the show or you watch like Dateline NBC, there's usually like, you know, like Keith Morrison, like on October 2nd, it was a dark, dreary night. You know what I mean? Like there's usually like this like formal narrator, right? But it's so compelling. It's so fascinating because on these episodes called Live to Tell, um, there's no formal narrator, and the narrator actually becomes the person who survived, who was able to live, would live to tell of the events of them being captured or kidnapped, and they're the ones that actually tell of how they escaped and how they actually live to tell. It's, it's so fascinating, you guys. If you've never seen one of these episodes, it's so interesting. It's so uh, uh, emotionally compelling to just hear the story of how something so horrific happened to somebody, and they literally live to tell it. And we look at, we're looking at Psalm 118 this morning, and it's very interesting because the nature of this very psalm is very similar because it's a survivor's psalm. It's a psalm that is in reflection as God's people are reflecting on surviving battles when they were outnumbered, surviving uh, the odds of, of literally the, the, the cards being stacked against them. And it's very similar in nature. So we're going to read and begin this morning by reading Psalm 118, starting with verses 1 through 16. And then we're going to kind of uh, pull, some, pull some things out that will hopefully be helpful for us today. But starting with Psalm 118, and it will be up on the screens for you, with verse 1, it says this. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his love endures forever. Okay, we get the point. We get the point, right? Uh, verse 4. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. Verse 9. It is better to take uh, refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I, I, cut, them out, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done Mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. And it's so interesting. I mean, we're going to get kind of the bread and butter of this, but even up to these, these first 16 verses, there's, there's so much content, a lot of great verses. Um, we think about verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. 
uh, his love endures forever. His love endures forever. Come on, church people, right? Like, that, that sounds familiar, right? I called, he answered in verse 5. I called, you answered, and you came to my rescue. Anybody? Yeah, right? The Lord is for me. Who can be against me? Verse 6. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? Right? Chris Tomlin in the house, right? Our God, the most popular worship song of all time. That and oceans are like, you know, if you know, if you're a church person, right? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone, right? Verse 22. Christ alone, cornerstone. Right? Are we getting the drift here? Bless the one who knows in the name of the Lord. This morning, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Right? So many worship songs have been inspired out of these very verses. It's dense. It's a great psalm. But I think we can kind of glean a little bit from the content. Why? Why time and time again? I'm like being prophetic right now with Hillsong. Like, you know, your next album. You know, I'm, I'm just going to say it right now. It's going to come out of Psalm 118, right? But Psalm 118, it goes on and it says this in verse 17, which will be up on the screen. I love this verse. It says, I will not die, but live. And then as a response, will proclaim what the Lord has done. I want to pray this morning before we continue. Lord, would we just be so moved by your scripture this morning? Would we be moved by your words? Would we understand that this life becomes so much more clearly when we place the lens of your eyes over ours? So, Lord, we just want to see things like you do. We want our hearts to be moved in this place this morning. We don't want to leave this place the same, even as Amy shared during our time of worship. So, Lord, would the worship continue as we worship through your word? And would we be changed forever? Would we be compelled to be people that live lives that you've called us to live? In Jesus' name, everybody says, amen. So we know this. There's, there's this great rescue and, 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 you know, scholars have, have looked into this, and, and there's not a specific point or there's not a specific occasion that, you know, biblical scholars can point to of saying, what was this massive occasion that seems to be in reference to in Psalm 118? There was enemies, there was a war, there was a battle. We can kind of grab that from this, this section of Scripture, but I think the main point that we can glean from it is that uh, they survived. The people of God survived, and it was one that a survival where the posture that they took afterwards was one of, of thanksgiving. It's interesting when you watch a show like 48 Hours and one of these specific episodes. Um, that's a live to tell type of episode. When somebody survives from a heinous murder, when somebody escapes, when somebody literally lives to tell, they, they are. They're a survivor. And they, they approach things a little bit differently. There's a difference in their voice. There's a difference in their demeanor. There's a difference in the way that they live, and this morning, here's, here's what I want us to catch, is there's good news for us this morning, because we're survivors. We are. Each and every one of us has the opportunity as a human being to know that one day uh, we are destined to die, right? We are, every day, every click of the clock, right, we're getting closer and closer to our death, and death can be such an intimidating subject, but I love it because we've survived sim simply because of the problem of sin and death has been taken care of because of what Jesus has done for us. On a spiritual level, we get to be much in the same way as people have described situations where they felt like they couldn't get out of them, our survivors. They survived. They were able to live to tell 
we have the opportunity as, as people who live on this earth to understand and have a perspective in life where we're able to live to tell what God has done. Since we are alive, how can we actually do that as survivors? So I want to give us just three quick things this morning based out of Psalm 118 that I think will be really, really helpful. And the first thing that if you're taking notes, you can write this down this morning is, is that survival means that you're grateful. It means you're grateful. It means that you live in a different way. We think about that, that first verse, right, up on the screen, and it, it says this. It says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. You know, it's so fascinating watching these testimonies and interviews of people that have, like, survived these, oh, my gosh, these horrific experiences. They're retelling it, and you can just tell by the, the way that they're even telling the story that they, they live with a new way of life. They're changed people. They've experienced something, and literally they, they, they look at life once again through a brand new lens. Up on the screen, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 57, says this in reference to, to us in the new covenant, the covenant because of what Jesus has done for us. It says this, as Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he says, but thanks to be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. There's a posture of thanksgiving that we get to take when we reflect on what Jesus has done for us. You know, the devil, he wants to devour our lives. He wants to devour all that we have. He wants to speak lies over us. He wants to devour any hope that we have. He wants to devour our sense of identity and what we were created to do and contribute to the world. He's constantly trying to devour any sense of hope in this world, any sense of of moving forward, any sense of purpose. But I love it because Jesus, what did he do? He gave us a way out. We get to be survivors because of what he's done, and we take and are able to take a posture of thanksgiving. I've shared this before, but when I was a little kid, I, I used to always think about death, and it used to just scare me. You know, have you ever got down and deep and just thought about, like, there's going to be this experience all of us are going to have to face someday. It's called death. Sometimes we want to shy away from those subjects, but man, I, I don't know what it was in my like seven, eight-year-old mind, but my, my mind would always go down this path of what happens? Is it just like you, you close your eyes one day and it's just there's nothing? There's blackness? The, the whole topic of ceasing to exist, man, just really just, man, just created a lot of fear inside me as a, as a, as a young boy. But I love it because that fear has a solution, right? His name is Jesus, and I think having that practical fear in my life and understanding that Jesus comes into our life, not by but boy, what we've done, not by our efforts, but literally he's already chosen us. It's just a matter of whether we're going to choose to follow him. He comes and he rescues us, and he allows us to be the very survivors and allows us to live life with a new form of thanksgiving and praise. So this morning, how, how are you giving thanks for being eternally alive? Because we're talking about eternity. We're talking about this life that literally, as the Bible puts into perspective, is just a blip on the radar in terms of the eternal perspective. But how maybe today, how maybe in light of what Jesus has done, are you taking a posture of thanksgiving? Some of us kind of sometimes take the approach of, well, I'll praise God when it happens, right? I'll praise God when, when, when I actually meet Jesus and he's like, okay, here's, here's eternity for you. But how many of you guys know that that's... that's really submitting to a, a, being a citizen of what we would call the kingdom of me. 
that's one where you're saying, well, my life's just kind of about me. I'm in this for the things that Jesus can kind of prove to me. But that's where faith comes in. See, faith allows us in the journey from here and to the other side of this life for us to come before the Lord and say, you know what? The kingdom of me is no longer the posture I'm taking as I live this life. But I'm choosing to take and be a part of this thing called the kingdom of God where my life is no longer my own. And my thanksgiving to God is literally choosing to give my life away on a practical level to those who are distant from God, who don't know the hope, the love, and the power of God in their lives. So how are we being grateful? Because I truly believe this. As survivors, man, we take a posture of being grateful for what God has done. Next thing I want to bring our attention to this morning. Second thing is survival means there, there was a hero. It says in verse 5, of Psalm 118, when hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me in to a spacious place. I love that. I love that language that the psalmist uses here. Talking about almost like the, the solution to the problems is, is being in a spacious place, not being claustrophobic. But how many of you guys know that many times there are seasons of our life where it, it just feels like our worlds are caving in? The circumstances, it just feels like everything's closing in. Our world is caving in. We sometimes can't even see or have a posture or a hope to see how to see out of the situation that we're in. And it's interesting, talking about this, this, this show, Live to Tell, this 48 hours where, the, where they narrate kind of this, this experience, this traumatic experience. There, there's always a hero in the story. There's always somebody that was at the right place at the right time to help, like, find the person after they've escaped, to be the phone call to the authorities, to help kind of be the liaison, right, to them getting help. It's interesting. Some of these stories, if you watch some of these shows, sometimes the person that jumped in for the hero, to be the hero actually end up, ends up being collateral and, and ends up dying themselves. But isn't that so interesting about us? Isn't that so interesting about the gospel in a practical way of how Jesus has become the hero for us? Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, remind us about what Jesus has done. It says, for he has rescued us. From the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Our rescuer is Jesus. He's paid the ransom. He caused the escape. He died so that we could be set free. He's the very person. You know, sometimes at the ends of these uh, 48-hour shows, it's like they'll, They'll bring, you know, they'll, they'll narrate it through, and you get the whole story, and you get the hero, and then they bring the two people back together. There's this kind of, there's this reconciliation that happens between the person maybe that hasn't seen the person that they rescued, right? And it's this beautiful moment, you know what I mean? It's like undercover boss, tears moment, right? Anybody ever watch that show, like at the end, you know, uh, for all you criers out there, right? Um, it's this powerful moment where these two people um, come together, right? But I love it because that's Jesus' heart for why he did what he did for us is so that we could live abundantly during this lifetime but that, so that we could conquer and overcome the things that are pulling us back from living an abundant life and for us to live in perfection with him in a day to come that we look forward to. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to know that God has promised us his presence, his peace wherever we're at today, but he's also promised this reconciliation. He's promised us this meeting place. He's promised us a day to come where there will be no more weeping. There will be no more pain. But in the meantime, we get to be image bearers of him to help others with their pain, to allow God to heal our own pain, but then to use what we have and what God's empowered us to do to go be a solution and help be a solution 
for someone else. But do we live in that way? Do we live as if we owe him our life? Many times you, people who've been saved in really practical situations such as these express how they, they owe their life to the other person. There's something so powerful about that. But if we, in response, maybe in reflecting on what God has done for us, do we live like that? Do we practically lay our lives down for the sake of other people? And then lastly, this morning, survival means this. The third thing is survival means you have a story. It means you have a story to tell. Verse 17, as we loop back around to the centerpiece of this psalm, it says, I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. You know, even in the scriptures, people sang and they proclaimed this psalm a lot. This is one that was used many times. It was used over and over again. In fact, when the people of Israel would celebrate such occasions as the Feast of Tabernacles, this, this psalm would be recited. The Passover, this was a psalm that was commonly recited. On Palm Sunday, when Jesus entered, which is next week, right? Next Sunday represents the Sunday before Easter. What, what happens? This psalm is recited. Jesus quoted it as he ministered on the earth. And actually, people, scholars believe that this is the psalm that Jesus sang at the Last Supper before he resurrected, before he, before he rose again and then empowered us as his church on behalf of him. It's interesting. It's a popular, powerful psalm that Jesus reflects on, that Jesus even owns, that Jesus even takes a posture there's a story in the, in the Gospels where Jesus heals this demon-possessed man, and such an interesting story, but basically, this was a guy who was homeless, oftentimes walked around naked. He was that guy, right? Lived in the cemetery. Like, you can picture these things. I feel like, you know, like, we can picture our cemetery on the outskirts of town, and like, just, you know, like, I can just visually just picture this. Like, you know, the outcast, this guy who literally was struggling with this spiritual thing within that was causing him to act out and some pretty interesting ways, right? The story tells us this guy had immense strength. He could break out of shackles. People were trying to, like, chain this dude down. But the power, the spiritual struggle and the power that came from this demonic influence caused him to break from the shackles. And then we have the story of Jesus meeting this guy, and what does he do? He casts the demons out of this guy by the power of God. And this guy is well. This guy is perfectly sane when people had deemed him to be insane. And then it goes on in Luke chapter 8. It says, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. The guy's like, Jesus, like, you just completely transformed who I am spiritually. My spiritual kind of gauge, my spiritual trajectory. He's like, I just want to keep being around you. But it's interesting. What does Jesus tell him? He says, Jesus sent him away saying, return home. Tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. I think it's so easy to kind of sometimes isolate these stories and be like, well, that's nice. Like, obviously, Jesus has the power. We have the power to be people that lay hands on those who are spiritually sick and see, see things manifest for the good of that person, right? I remember being a youth pastor and being at camps where there's just all groups of people from different cities in the Los Angeles area. We'd go up to this mountain 
And stuff would happen. It would be crazy. The spiritual atmosphere, there's always an intensity in camp kind of atmospheres because you got people praying and prepping beforehand. And, and there would be times where people would begin to convulse and people would begin to manifest demons and demonic powers and forces where people would lay hands and those spirits would leave. I mean, I kid you not. These are real life situations and scenarios that sometimes we turn our backs to and try to ignore. But there's a real struggle and a spiritual reality that we live within when it comes to good and evil. But in dramatic fashion in this story, it's a beautiful illustration for us. It's an illustration of how we as humans are headed towards death because we're spiritually dead. That's just the trajectory because of the outcome of sin and living in a sinful world. But what happens when Jesus intervenes? He intervenes in a way where our spiritual death and deadness becomes one that he brings to life, gives us new life. It's a small story, but it's a commentary for us in terms of who we are spiritually and what happens when Jesus intervenes in our lives. But the outcome becomes an interesting response, not one where Jesus is like, yeah, like, just keep hanging around me, but one where he says, no, be blessed to be a blessing. Carry what I've done for you and allow it to be a part of your story because your story is one of power that can break chains on a practical level in people's lives. This morning, what's your story to tell? When it comes to your faith and your faith journey, what story are you telling? Have you reflected maybe? Do you spend time maybe reflecting on the good things that God has done? Have you built a resume or a rap sheet of, man, like, I'm just thankful because I've just seen God break in in really, really practical ways. And this is a part of my story. And this story brings power into personal situations at the center of situations where you have circles of influence where you work, in your friendships, sometimes even in your family relationships, right? Man, when God does some, something so real in your life, it becomes a part of who you are. It becomes a powerful story that God wants to use as spiritual ammunition towards the discouragement that others might be facing. I just believe this. We've survived, not just to be survivors, but God's allowed us to be survivors so that we may thrive. So then we may take what we once had, the story to reflect on, and to say, hey, look at the difference of what God has done for me. It's interesting to see even at watching a show like 48 Hours and these Live to Tell episodes, all these people that survive, it's not like they just end up living boring lives. We know what happens with people who, who experience these types of experiences. They go on and they end up being activists for great things. They end up going on and making a difference of saying, I don't want to let the situation maybe that happened to me, I want to prevent that from happening to somebody else. I want to use the experience that I have to literally make, be a difference maker in the lives of other people. And it's a ripple effect that causes so many waves. Man, people have to work through the pain and the things, the post-traumatic stress that they've endured by going through and enduring a situation, by being kidnapped, being, being tried to, to, by somebody trying to murder them. I mean, it's just horrible. And you can tell that people are obviously walking through it, but they never let that hold them down because their story becomes a bigger one, one where how they're going to end up making the world a better place simply because of this horrible experience of what happened to them. And here's what I'll say is this is how I want to end today, and I want to end it a little bit differently and a little bit practically. I think sometimes when it comes to sharing our faith, that that becomes a very intimidating topic. The topic of evangelism is kind of what the church word that's used to describe sharing our faith, right? 
telling somebody about the good things that Jesus has done. You may be a person, you're just overwhelmed because you're like, Pastor, like, I don't have, like, this nice essay in my head that I can just, like, spit out to my family members or my friends or, you know. But, but I don't want to ever devalue that each and every one of us have probably had experiences where we've seen God break in in a pretty powerful way. Maybe it doesn't, your evangelism or maybe your, your thrust to tell people about Jesus, it doesn't devalue the fact that Jesus has done big things in your life. So as a church, I think we're in a season right now, a few weeks out from Easter, where we could take some really, really practical next steps. And one of the things that I've really been talking about is the practical next step of inviting people to Easter. And, and here's the, re- the reason that we, we create such flyers as this that have something for kids and for families to know that they're welcome and something for people to know, once again, that they're welcome to come join us for Easter at our church is it's an opportunity to plant a seed. It's an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus in a really practical way. And I was, sharing, I was sharing the stats. We've been sharing the stats a couple weeks ago that they've done studies that in any given year, like somebody who attends church, 2% of churchgoers actually invite their friends to church, which is pretty surprising, right? Because I think we always, it's like the Kitty Genevieve effect. If you've ever studied psychology, there's a story of a woman who was brutally being murdered in her apartment in New York City, and there were so many bystanders that walked by, and they literally said this to themselves. Rather than jumping in and being the hero, they said, oh, somebody else must hear that. Somebody else must actually be helping that. See, we, as human beings, we naturally take a posture of saying, well, somebody else will do it. And we suffer sometimes in the body of Christ, in the church, with the somebody else is going to do it syndrome. Or we're thinking to ourselves, well, yeah, like, yeah, probably the, the person who's a little bit more bold next to me is going to be maybe inviting their friends to church, right? And then what we get boiled down to is 2% of the church actually inviting their friends to be a part of a church service. Isn't that so interesting? I shared a sat too. 60%, I said this last week, 60% of people who actually are invited to church will actually come. And actually, that was the wrong stat. I was, I'm a statistic guy. I'm, a, I'm fascinated by statistics. Uh, the, the 60% that I had in my mind, I was doing some research on social media, so I'll just share the stat where 60% came from in my mind. Uh, 60% of women, before they get up out of bed in the morning, check their Facebook before anything else. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that fascinating? I don't mean to put women on blast, because I'll be honest, I've done that before. Come on now. All the guys are like, yeah, okay. Uh, anyway. Uh, but but, but here, here's the fact. Not 60% people would actually come if you invited them. 82%. So this is actually higher. 82% of people would act, if you actually just invited somebody, said, hey, we would love, if you don't have a home for Easter, if you don't have a place uh, to attend on an Easter Sunday, hey, we'd love to have you, right? And here's, I think, in this conversation of sharing our faith, it's not, you know, like, the, the cynical side of me is like, well, what are we trying to do here? Are we just trying to, like, build the big, big service? Are we, just trying to, to, are we just trying to fill our seats? Are we just trying to grow our church? No. I just believe that it's an entry point for people into a bigger family. It's an entry point for people to get connected and to hear about a God who loves them so much. To get connected to a loving church family such as this, people that I know and love have the opportunity to lead, and to get into this family and have their lives changed forever as we try to figure this thing out and do what it means to live for Jesus. The stats show us 80% of our city is unchurched. So for me, I'm saying until that number hits zero, we got work to do. We got work to do. But, but the church can't be built on a faithful few. I'll be honest, last week I forgot to take my flyer that was on my seat. And I had like four or five opportunities when I was just doing, you know, mundane stuff, like ran to the bank, did a deposit, went and got coffee one morning because I'm like, okay, the sacred grounds coffee, moved to this new place, I want to go check it out, right? There was like so many opportunities where it was like, dang 
it. I wish I had this. So this week, I, I want us to be more intentional. I want us to make up for maybe some of the unintentionality, because I'll say this, Pastor did a bad job last week. So on your, each and every one of our seats, there's three of these. There's three invite cards, and I just want to encourage us to just get really practical about this and to take this serious. What would happen if we decided to step out, kind of engage our evangelism muscles, and over the next couple weeks, just make it a point to invite three people to our Easter services, right? Begin to engage with the fact that God has done so many great things for us. We live to tell. And sometimes that's a difficult muscle to engage in. But it's an entry point. It's an entry point for us to plant a seed in somebody else's heart for something possibly to blossom that reflects the goodness of God and the plans that God has for this city that he loves so much. Amen? So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pray. And then the worship team's going to come up. And they're going to just play a little bit. But I just want us to use this as a space of reflection as kind of we respond this morning of taking some time. Each and every one of you should have about three of these on your, on your seat, and um, just to pray over these. Maybe for some of you, you'll have some names of people in mind that you're just going to commit yourself, and you're going to write the name down on the card. That way, you can give it to the person and just be like, try not to be creepy about it. You know what I mean? But inform the person, hey, you've been, you've been on my heart. You've been on my mind. I've been praying for you. would love for you to be a part of this, and maybe we'll get no's, but what would happen if 82%, like the stats tell us, if people were like, yeah, I don't have a church home, and I'd love to be a part of or see what God is doing and believing that God's going to do some amazing things on April 21st, not only April 21st, but the weeks that we have. I think about next week in our Four Ponca City Sunday. I think about the opportunities that we have to engage with literally seeing the kingdom of God infiltrate our city and making our city more and more feel like heaven. Amen. So we're going to pray this morning, and then I would just pray that after we pray and we respond in worship during this time, let's just reflect. Let's pray, and let's get really practical in saying, who are, who are three people I can challenge myself. Might be a little bit scary, but who are three people just to kind of spend that time reflecting that we can invite the church over the next couple weeks. Amen? Let's pray this morning.